0: Welcome to the podcast of Calvary Baptist Church of Taylorville, Illinois. I hope this podcast stirs your desire for the things of God, and we hope that your faith in Christ will grow like never before. Now let's get into the podcast. Please be seated, everybody. Good to have you in the house today. It's so good to be here. Somebody say Amen. If you have a bad attitude and didn't say anything, I'm praying for you right now. It's okay. Just kidding. Hey, so I'm grateful that you are here. And, you know, I'm just sitting here just praying like you were. And just this thought came to mind of, you know, I don't know if you went without power this week at all. Some of you maybe did or didn't. The church really didn't go without power. But we did for a long amount of time. And I really learned the value of taking a shower again. It was really good. Um. And if I ever debated on an Amish lifestyle, I no longer am debating that. So I, I like power and electricity and running water in my house. But, you know, I was thinking just a moment ago of just how thankful that I am at, of how even people in the city and people come around to benefit our city and all the linemen coming in from all the neighboring states to come in and help serve us, to, to put power on for us, to help us thrive. And to to get back to some sort of normality. And they leave their family to come here and do this. And they will probably go to another state and another place to do that. And not only was I thinking about all the linemen who came in to serve, all of us. But also I was just thinking about all of the restaurants. That, you know, people without power. And now, okay, we don't have food, a way to make food. That now the restaurants, and we frequented some more restaurants (laughs) over the last couple days not having power and I was just really kind of overwhelmed, like, how the city supports one another whenever things are going on. And, and you know, if you went to a restaurant this weekend and maybe or, or this, this past week due to the storm and just go in, and maybe next time just say, you know what, thanks for what you do for our city. Because I think that there's so much, of, uh, so much about us as a city. We just need to thank one another when we come together in times like this. Neighbors become neighbors. and. And, and, you know, and, and people who own restaurants and businesses, they also were reminded that they're neighbors too. So um, just, say, uh, you know, just say thank you if you see them out. And maybe that was just for me, but maybe it was for somebody else. I don't know. But uh, would you pray with me now as we jump into God's Word? Father, I just pray to you today, and I just thank you for loving us first, loving us always, and loving us continually. I know that you blessed your Word. I pray that you would just bless me as I deliver your Word Lord, let me not get in the way of what you want to say today. Let your word um, be the, the, the main thing that we walk away with, God, not the eloquence of my speech or the creativity by which I can say words. But, God, let it be your word that is resounding in our hearts today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as many of you already know, we've actually been in a series for several weeks now, and it's called Moving Mountains. And we're looking at Jesus's model prayer. I invite you to go into Matthew 6, and we're going to look at verses 9 through 12, and also verses 14 and 15. And we've been taking this line by line, idea for idea, and we've been unpacking this this great message, the message really that that means so much for us historically. And many times we either have had some sort of Spiritual background where we look at this passage or and maybe it was just the way that we learn how to pray because of some faith group we were connected with in the past. Or maybe we look at it and we say, well, this is just how we're supposed to pray because this is what Jesus said. And if you were to actually dig into this historical, you would see that when Christians in the early church were given the ability to pray this prayer it had so much of a, a profound ripple effect in their life because it was then that they were invited and they were accepted into the family of God and they were given a freedom to pray bold, mountain-moving prayers. And yet for us, because of maybe some history, we look at this maybe in lesser with lesser eyes than what we should and there's such a significant thing here. And we're gonna see something that's significant too and I believe it's often overlooked. This... this uh, the We're going to dig into today two big ideas. We're going to spend more time on the first idea and less time on the second. Or as they say it, we're going to have a long run for a short slide. That's what we're going to have today, just so you know. So if you look at how much time I spend on the first part of my outline, you're like, whoa, we may be here through the potluck. Nope. It's, It's set up this way. There's going to be more up front and less on the back end, so you can just take a deep breath. It's all right. We're going to eat today, and the potluck's going to be good, all right? Um, by the way, you're all welcome to go to the potluck. It will be at 1130 after the service today. And maybe some of you are like, we have a potluck today? Yes, we do. It's at the Chautauqua Building at Manners Park, 1130 after the service. You are cordially invited. Come hungry. Food's going to be good. Anyway, so one of the passages, that, or one of the lines in this, in this particular model prayer, what Jesus talks about, I think gets overlooked because we don't even know what it means, So I think because forgiveness itself is such a common theme in the Bible, we look at this and say, well, maybe it just had something to do with forgiveness. It's in here, but I really don't know what this means. And we're going to see today, I believe, why Jesus put these two lines in the model prayer. And he's inviting us to pray, but he's also wanting us to live lives in alignment with what he says. Let's go into the word of God. Matthew 6, verse 9 is where we're going to start passage starts in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Verse 14, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. So we're talking about forgiveness. If you are a note taker as some of you are inclined to be, this is the first thing that you would be filling in your blanks, forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. And we're going to take this this apart and as we take it apart, we're going to see that there's two different things that Jesus talks about here that has been so overlooked through history and time and our church experience. The first line that we see, could we back up and put that on the screen, Rachel, the same thing you had just a moment ago? Thank you. The forgive us our debts. This one, I believe, is when we're praying this prayer, in the model prayer, If, if for us, if we're going to access the power of God and we're going to live it into our lives, what we have to come to terms with is this. If we don't understand forgiveness and forgive, asking God to say, forgive us our debts, if we don't if we don't walk in alignment with the forgiveness that we've received, we will fall into into a pit of self-pity. Because if we don't remind ourselves that we're forgiven of our sins, we won't pray bold prayers because we don't think we won't think we're worthy of them. So this line, the the big aha that I got in this particular part is, forgive us our debts. Jesus, why would you have this? It's because, church, he doesn't want you to walk around in self-pity because if you walk around in self-pity about what you've done, you won't live forgiven and you won't pray bold prayers because you don't and won't think that you're worthy of praying them. So we need to spend some time on this, on the... Forgive our debts. Our. The reason why you had to fill in the our part is so that we're reminded it's our debts. It's what we've done. It's our nature. It's our fallenness. This isn't just for the bad person that we think across the street who's living a different lifestyle. Or it isn't for the the person at work who gets on your nerves who always just seems like their life is chaos. It's forgive us our debts. All of humanity. We're all lumped in. We're going to spend some time here exploring the idea of forgiveness and talking about the forgiveness and just unpacking the forgiveness that God provides. And the reason why this is so important for you and I is is what we're going to see ultimately today is that our vertical relationship with God is impacted by a horizontal relationship with other people. The idea of forgiving us of our debts I think sometimes we treat forgiveness kind of like our appendix. Does anybody, who you know, this is not a HIPAA thing. Do you have your appendix still, by the way? Yes. Proudly, they're like, I have my appendix. If you do not have your appendix, raise your hand. There you go. Did you take it out yourself? We could talk about it later. Probably an interesting story if you did. I don't have my appendix. You see, I grew up not even knowing what an appendix was. I've come to find out years later that, that you may not, okay, some of, your, some of you are in the medical industry. You're going to correct me. That's fine. Just do it privately, okay? I get it. I'm going to give a very generalized idea. People really don't even, know, don't even really know what your appendix does. They think it has some relevance when you're younger, when you get older. They don't really know what it does, okay? They don't even know it does anything. Some people believe it's just like a bag of, like, good bacteria. I don't know. I don't know what it is, okay? You make something up. Put it online. It must be true if, if it's there. So I don't know. Anyway, so I think sometimes we treat... Forgiveness, kind of like our appendix, like it was needed for a time, but then we don't really need it anymore because we've been forgiven of our sins, so it's like all my sins are wiped clean, so I don't really need it anymore. So it's almost like there was this time in history, like our appendix, like, yeah, I needed it back then, but now things have changed and I've grown up, so I don't need I don't need forgiveness as much anymore because I've been saved of my sins. And what Jesus is reminding us in this passage is forgiveness is something that we need to remember every day of our lives. As we go through and not only do we, do we become people of the gospel and people of the kingdom of God, we need to continually remember of the sins that we've been forgiven and the nature by which that we have been delivered from. Because when we do that, then we put away the the idea of self-pity. We put away the shame aspect that comes with our fallenness and we live in alignment with who it is that God says that, that we are and then we can access the power that he says that we can access. But yet if we don't walk in alignment with understanding the forgiveness of our sins, we'll never ask God for the things that he wants to bless us with. We'll never live in an alignment with the promises that he says that he will deliver and bring to us. There's such an invitation here. I hope you see it. I hope you see it. You see, the thing about this passage is what Jesus is talking about here in verse 12. He says, forgive us our debts. You see, sin is likened to a debt that deserves to be punished or paid. This particular word is an interesting word. In the root of this word, there's there's actually five different words that describe sin in the New Testament. And this is the word ophelema, And it literally means, as what it says in this passage, a debt. Because sin is likened to a debt that deserves to be punished or paid. Every one of us was born into sin, all of us. There's there's no such thing as people who are born into this life, just good people. We're all born into this life sinners, all of us. We're all born into this life needing something, someone, to pay for our sin debt. We're all born into this life. Everything that's happening culturally right now is this, this idea of pushing back the reality that the gospel is like it's old fashioned, it's not needed, and it's all rooted in this idea that, that people are not inherently bad and sinful, but that ev- people are inherently good. So if people are inherently good, then you don't need a good God to deliver you from your sins. That's just not what the Bible says. I'm going to unpack several things today talking about this idea of forgiveness, but but I'm spending more time on this passage in this particular part unpacking it because I want you to see it from God's word and not my word. You may, you may push back and say, well, I disagree on your interpretation. That's fine. And you may also say that you, you disagree with, with what God says in his word. But here's the thing. You and I may be able to differ on what, what, is, what the interpretation is, and, and we can have a conversation about that. But yet, when you actually are then having a confrontation with the word of God, you're not arguing with me. You're arguing with God. And I would say good luck with that. That doesn't bode well in the long run. Romans 3.23 says this. This is the view of all humanity. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. For all have sinned. 1 John 1.8 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And what else does the passage say? The truth is not in us. So if you and I or, or somebody who's in the world, they say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not into sin. I'm a good person. I'm a, I'm a good moral person. I mean, after all, look at my neighbor. My neighbor's like obviously on drugs and doesn't work and not providing for his family. She's, she's often, she's wild now. Like, like compared, to, compared to them, I'm doing pretty good. But what about compared to a holy God? How are you doing in, in that perspective? Because what the Word of God is telling us is if we claim to be without sin, we are actually choosing to live in deception and we're deceiving ourselves. And the Word of, and the Word of God bears out true and it says, and the truth is not in us. So we're living a lie. We're living deceived. If we go through and say, oh, I'm a pretty good person. I mean, as compared to them, I'm doing pretty good. I mean, I could list... Five people who are more evil than me. Our comparison is not one another. Our comparison is against God and his holiness. What you clearly see today, and and I'm going to just share with you just as we break down this idea of forgiveness and divine forgiveness from, from God, that even while we were in sin and while we were stuck, and there's nothing that we could have done, Jesus did something on our behalf. A working definition for this morning on the idea of forgiveness is this, freeing a person from guilt and its consequences. Freeing a person from their their guilt, that debt, and the consequences. Now, a quick read of this. You may look at this passage, specifically verse 14 and 15. Let's read it again. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You may look at this and say, whoa, 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 Pastor. Okay, I'm confused now. Does that mean that the only way that God would forgive me is after I've forgiven someone else? That is not true. Because if that were true, then that would be a work that we would have to add into the gospel to be saved. So that the only way that we could be saved is, okay, yes, Jesus, you died on the cross to take away the sins of the world, including mine, right? Including my own, my individual sins. And that's true, but, but if, if we read that and we say, well, we have to forgive other people before Jesus would forgive us, then that means that the cross wasn't enough, and now it's contingent on me being able to forgive somebody else. Well, how in the world would that be possible? When I lived my whole life, I got saved at the age of 21. How would I even know how to forgive all those people in advance? Because I've offended a lot of people since the time I got saved at 21. So obviously that's not true. So we're going to unpack what is true. You can't earn salvation by forgiving people and performing good deeds. Ephesians 2.8.9 says this, You're going to see this again in a moment. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves, it is a gift from God, so that no man can boast. It's not by works, so no man can boast. It's not by your works. Jesus is is inviting us into praying bold prayers and not get stuck in the world of self pity. Because if a person is stuck in the realm of self pity and self help and self hatred, they won't believe good things or seek to do great things. They'll live really small lives. They could be spiritually set free from their sins and still live very small lives if they don't continually press into the the reality of what they've been forgiven of. God's forgiveness comes to us. Several different ways. First ways, historically. God has been offering forgiveness through human history. I just want to, this isn't going to be on the screen, and there's a lot of passages here. So if you're, somebody's going to write things down, probably ought to write them down quickly or see me after the service. That's my deliberate pause before I get ready. Here we go. Pass it to scripture in Jeremiah 31, 34, or Hebrews 8, 12, and Hebrews 10, 17. It says, I will remember their sins no more. Jeremiah 33, 8. God says, I will pardon their iniquities. Jeremiah 36, 3 says, if they hear, I will forgive. 2 Chronicles 7:14, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Jeremiah 50, verse 20, says, I will forgive the remnant. The sins of those who dwell in Zion will be forgiven Isaiah 33:24 Perhaps the Lord will forgive you Acts 8:22 And when I forgive you or when, when I forgive you all you have done Ezekiel 16:63 I simply wanted to share with you all those passages from hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus to know that forgiveness was part of God's plan the whole time so historically, forgiveness has always been present, and also another element of, of God's forgiveness is it's it's received openly, openly. Romans three twenty three says this righteousness from God comes through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. That you can't be so far gone that you can't be saved. You can't be. You can't be so lost that God won't find you. You can't. There's no way that you could have done so heinous of things that God would say, oh, those sins were unforgivable. That's not the way that God works. The forgiveness of God is open to you this morning if you don't know Jesus Christ in a personal way. Forgiveness is open for you to receive. But it's not something you just need to receive into your mind. It's something you receive into your heart. But it's open for you. You don't have to have some sort of spiritual pedigree and been raised in the church. I got saved at 21. I wasn't raised in the church. I was raised to be moderately Spiritual, moderately. So I had some church experiences, and because that moderate church experience also led me to be moderately moral. But it wasn't necessarily based about the Bible. It was just a couple experiences that I had. I had no spiritual pedigree when I got saved at 21. I had nothing going for me. And make no mistake, some of you look at, look at me as if I'm on the stage and I've got the microphone and you're the pastor, you're the, you're the spiritual one, you, you must have been set apart from birth. Through my upbringing, I thought I was set apart for jail. <laughs> to be honest with you, that was one of the considerations that Marla and I had when we came here. Because the person you know is not the person I was when I was 15 and 16 years old running the streets of Taylorville. My, my testimony now over the last 20 or so years that you've known me because of being a part of the church is one thing, but I also have uh, just a, I have a past before I got saved. And I've done things that they were dishonoring to God and dishonoring to other people because part of that being moderately moral was subjected to whatever I wanted to do at the time and not the truth of God's word. It wasn't the the sting of the Holy Spirit reminding me what I was doing right and what I was doing wrong. I was simply living like many teenagers do who don't have the Holy Spirit within them, just living by their impulses and their habits and their desires. So make no mistake just because I, I'm the person who's on the stage, don't think that I am higher than mighty. I have, a, I have a testimony of unfaithfulness to God that was lived out in these streets. And now, praise God, because of the work he's done in my life, I have a testimony of faithfulness 20 plus years in this, in this city because of the Holy Spirit's work within me. But that was a consideration. Like, okay, we're coming back into a place of a people who knew us as to how we were before Jesus, and now will they accept us back? And what if some of these stories come out? And I just have to say, if some of these stories come out, they might be true. And I'm just going to lay it before you, and I'm going to lay it before Jesus. Why? Because I'm forgiven. Because my forgiveness isn't, listen to me, church, my forgiveness isn't based upon your acceptance of my forgiveness. My forgiveness is based upon the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. You didn't die for me. Jesus did. You didn't bring about the repentance of my sins. Jesus did. It's open. Forgiveness is open. There's no one that is too far gone for for God not to reach. There's no one. This forgiveness is received gracefully as well. Gracefully. Meaning there's nothing you can do to earn it. That means there's nothing that you've done that made you deserve it. Ephesians 2.8.9 says this, For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. and This not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. Not by works. So that no man can boast. This, this forgiveness is received gracefully for it is by grace that you've been saved, if you're in Christ, through faith, faith that God allowed you to have. You didn't create that faith. God initiated that faith in you. You simply responded. That's your personal responsibility of, of responding to the faith that God initiates. And then we fall on our face and we repent of our sins. It's one of the best things about the gospel message, the true gospel message. There are so many opposing worldviews and religions and philosophies right now. And it is only Christianity that, is, that, that stands alone as not being works based. Every other world religion and philosophy is based upon man or mankind. Everyone. Buddhism. Forgiveness is works-based. Buddhists are encouraged to cultivate mindfulness and introspection to recognize their harmful actions and their impact on themselves and others. In other words, if you dig deeper in yourself, the more you dig deeper in yourself, not the Spirit of God, the more you dig deeper into yourself through these practices and through mindfulness, then you'll be able to seek forgiveness. Islam itself is a works-based religion. Now, part of of Islam is cloaked in words like prayer and repentance and confession. But it's also works-based because not only do they incorporate those things within within that that worldview, but also there's a lot of other things that are required for a person to, quote-unquote, be right with God or Allah as what they say in Islam. And another leading philosophy that's going on right now that again is not—it's not necessarily well. It is works-based, but it's not founded upon the, any idea of forgiveness. Is really a, a worldview, an ideology, a philosophy called cultural Marxism, rooted in the philosophies of Karl Marx, who himself was a socialist who himself wrote the Communist Manifesto, who himself did not believe in original sin, who himself just wanted to tear down every every sort of tradition, every sort of of structure, whether it was social or political structure, and just tear them down. It was not rooted in, in the gospel at all because the gospel itself is rooted in personal responsibility and salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. Cultural Marxism is rooted in, in a terminology called moral relativism. In other words, there is no real truth. Everything is subjective to what I want it to be. Which is why we hear some words culturally like, well, that's my truth or that's, that's your truth. But that's not rooted in the truth. There's no pathway of forgiveness through any of these philosophies or worldviews. It's only Christianity that offers a a non-works-based way of connecting with God. Because that debt, the sin debt, couldn't be paid by you and I. It had to be paid by Jesus. And praise God that he did. Romans 5 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. It, we weren't the cleaned up version of ourselves. We were still sinners. Another passage of scripture, Psalm 103, 9-14 through 14, says this. We will not, he will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, and he remembers that we are dust. We receive the forgiveness of God faithfully. Not through our own faithfulness, but through His. First John 1 John 1.9 reminds us, if you confess your sins, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify of us of all unrighteousness. He is faithful. He is steadfast. He is trustworthy. He is reliable. Again, it's not based upon our own performance. We receive the forgiveness of God thoroughly as well. Passage in Colossians 2, 13 through 15. This will all be on the screen. Just let this word soak in. When you were dead in your sins and in your uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus did that. Thoroughly. He forgave us all our sins if we're in Christ. He canceled the written code. Canceled it in his blood. So let's see the second part of this. As we also have forgiven our debtors. So the first part had to do with walking in the forgiveness of God, vertical relationship with God. The second line within this passage talks about the horizontal relationship with one another. The first part had to do with writhing in self-pity, writhing in self-hatred, and not believing that we're worthy of praying bold. Kingdom prayers, inviting the power of God into our life, because we feel we're, we would feel like we're unworthy of having that power because of the self pity that we're writhing in. The, this part has to do with self exaltation or pride, lifting ourselves up. Well, you may say, well, Pastor, what, what does this have to do with prayer? You see, the first part had to do with self-pity and not praying prayers that were bold prayers and trusting that we could have the power of God in our life because we feel unworthy. And now, when it comes to self-exaltation, it's in alignment with not praying bold prayers because we don't think we need them. Because we don't think we need them. So Jesus... As part of this prayer is, we also have forgiven our debtors, because the power of God flows through forgiving relationships. I had an experience not that long ago, actually, just a few months ago, and I was able to fulfill something that God laid on my heart when I got saved. So, 27 or so years I've been saved. And when I got saved, I was reminded of something that I did when I was a teenager on the square that was very much a picture of who I was as a person. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but, but fearful, insecure people pick on people who they believe are inferior to them. Or fearful cowards like I was actually pick on people who they know won't fight back. That's a picture of who I was as a teenager here. And when I got saved, I was reminded of, I'm not going to tell you the individual's name, although it's on the tip of my tongue. I was reminded of this individual of what I did on the square one day. I know right where it was. It was right in front of the movie theater. He was driving a car around the movie theater, and I was standing up, uh, up on the, the courtyard where the courthouse is, and I ran down. In the middle of traffic, I ran down. That's when you could cruise. And I, I ran down from there, and I don't know why. I just picked him out, and, I just, and I'm not prideful in telling you this. I'm humiliated by telling you this, actually. I just reached in and just punched him right in the face. He didn't do anything to deserve it. He didn't say anything to me. I feel, I, I, feel, I feel foolish for even telling you this. I've never vocalized this in public. But I was reminded of that act whenever I first got saved. And I had not seen this individual until a couple months ago. I graduated high school in 1993. This was probably 1992, early 1993. And I had not seen him since that time. And I had the opportunity of going up to this individual that that I hurt and begging for his forgiveness. I was reminded of him and that event when I got saved. And I didn't even know that I would see him again. And now all these years later, I was reminded of him. And then when I was, I saw him and I was like, I've got to make this right today. You may say, well, why? As we also have forgiven our debtors. That's why. Because forgiven people forgive people and they seek forgiveness from people they've hurt. And I had to walk through that level of humiliation. And I had to admit that to him. And I had to beg for his forgiveness. Not knowing what he would do. Because it's one thing to receive forgiveness of sins. We can do that privately. But yet, we also have to walk in the forgiveness of our sins when we... have sinned against other people, and those things we have to drag into the light. It's that important. It's throughout the New Testament. Another passage of Scripture, Colossians 3.13, says this, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave has forgave you. So as difficult as this is, and it's difficult, if we want to pray kingdom prayers, we have to treat other people the way that Jesus treated us maybe the reason why you haven't seen significant spiritual victory in your life and maybe the reason why you, you, you may feel like your prayer life has a lid on it, it, could have to, it may have to do with your lack of forgiveness of other people or you have wounded other people and you know that you did it and you, and you have not asked them for forgiveness. This is what Jesus is talking about and the gospel reaches us right now where we are, so we don't have to writhe around in self-pity and feel like that we're unworthy of God's grace and goodness, and we don't have to, we don't have to try and put our, to lift ourselves up into self-exaltation, and we don't have to walk around pridefully and then push God away as if we don't need the power of God. I'm desperate for the power of God, and I believe you are too. The question I have in closing is this are you experiencing it are you really experiencing the power of god in your life do you believe that maybe you've had experience where you just feel like your prayer life just has just a lid on it and you wonder if god's listening god's listening for sure but maybe what he wants you to do is maybe he wants you to get some things right here on earth so that you can be trusted with the power from heaven.